I'm Susan Moran. And I'm Kendra Kruger. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, July 8th, 2014. Coming up, we'll talk with CU Denver endocrinologist Alan Vida about a rare and inadvertent success story on the environmental front, why fish in Boulder Creek are acting and looking more sexually normal than they were just a few years ago. And we'll discuss broader watershed water quality issues in Colorado and beyond. Strategic investment in wastewater treatment infrastructure is crucial to the sustainability of downstream economies and ecosystems. We begin with a look at what's on the calendar this week in science. This Friday, July 11th, happens to be World Population Day. The day was designated by the United Nations in 1989 to draw attention to the urgency and importance of population issues in a global context. The Center for Biological Diversity, a science-based nonprofit that works to prevent species from going extinct, is hosting a photo campaign to highlight the impacts of our booming population. They're asking for photos that illustrate how population growth affects people in their daily lives perhaps a crowded train, or a green area that is being paved over for urban sprawl. Images can be submitted through Twitter, Facebook, or other social medias with hashtag CrowdedPlanet. To find out more, check out their website at biologicaldiversity.org and check out their In the Spotlight column on the left side of the page. Also happening this week is a screening of the film Particle Fever. It's at the Dairy Center for the Arts in Boulder. The science documentary follows one of the biggest and most expensive experiments in history. It's the development of the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland and the search for the Higgs particle, which is thought to be the fundamental particle responsible for mass. Check out the screening times at tickets.thedairy.org. If you're wondering how to brace your garden for the looming onslaught of the emerald ash borer, you'll want to check this out. Tonight, Boulder Café Scientifique will host a talk by Kathleen Alexander, the city forester for Boulder, who no doubt has been as busy as ever trying to tackle this challenge. She'll discuss, among other things, the trade-offs of combating the ash borer with pesticides, some of which, which will kill other beneficial organisms and the environment. The free event will be held at the Outlook Hotel off of 28th Street near Baseline. It will be in the conference room. Refreshments begin at 5.30 and the talk starts at 6 o'clock. For more info, go to cafecyboulder.org. You're listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Susan Moran. Today, we continue our series called The Ocean is Us. We're exploring the many ways that we're connected to the oceans. Yes, even in landlocked Colorado, some 1,200 miles from the nearest ocean waves. We affect the oceans, for instance, through our watershed by discharging human sewage and and agricultural chemicals indirectly into streams. We also affect it by eating fish and, of course, by driving cars and keeping the lights and air conditioning on, emitting carbon dioxide that acidifies the oceans, destroying shell-bearing corals and other creatures. Today, we're zooming in on our local watersheds, specifically Boulder Creek and the South Platte River running through Denver. It's been nearly 10 years since a seminal study found that wastewater pouring from the sewage treatment plants in Denver and Boulder was twisting the gender of fish living downstream from the plant. Since then, a lot has happened, in fact, much of it positive. 
Dr. Alan Vida, an environmental endocrinologist at CU Denver, was one of the researchers back then, and he's continued studying the waterways and the front range of beyond. Dr. Vida is here in the studio to talk about the research findings, then and now, and the status of waterways here and outside of Colorado. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So why don't we start? I know you were on the show actually several years ago when these studies came out, um, but give us a snapshot, just a review of the key findings back then. Well, beginning in 2001, collaborative studies with the Colorado Department of Parks and Wildlife, the University of Colorado, the U.S. Geological Survey, identified intersex fish, female biased sex ratios, and other Intersex, evidence. meaning they had intersex, both? Intersex. Uh, we were finding gonads that had characteristics of both male and females in fish downstream of wastewater treatment plants, but never upstream. And those effects were consistent with the, the concentration of estrogenic contaminants that we were also measuring in those wastewater impacted streams. And these estrogenic Estrogenic, the endocrine disruptors. Talk about sort of what they are, what kind of chemicals, and, and how they act in both fish and humans. Well, <clears throat> many of these are naturally occurring chemicals produced by humans and all vertebrates that we simply excrete uh, when we flush the toilet. Others are synthetic pharmaceuticals, such as those in birth control, and then many others come from our consumer products, uh, breakdown products of plastics, ingredients in cosmetics, uh, even some of our foods such as phytoestrogens from soy. Right. And so in this case, were you able to tease out where they actually came from or simply that there are traces of these kind of compounds in the fish? Well, we were... The front-range streams provide a unique natural laboratory where we were able to look upstream of wastewater treatment plants and not detect any of these chemicals. And we were able to look downstream and find these chemicals all the time. And we were able to pinpoint the source as the wastewater treatment plants. And this was both Boulder <coughs> Creek specifically and then the South Platte River, right? Those initial studies mm -hmm. found intersex and female bias sex ratios, lots more girls than boys, downstream of Boulder and the South Platte River. And just so we can identify with these fish, there were a couple different species you were looking at, right? We, we, we examined many species, but we ultimately focused on a species known as the white sucker, uh, because it was found both upstream and downstream of the wastewater effluents. So you had a control there? Exactly. Yeah, so let's say um, starting with Boulder, this, the water we drink and it's discharged into the water, what, what, what's the big problem there? Sounds obvious, but it may not be. Well, there's uh, several issues to think about. One is we're a population of around 100,000 people living on a fairly small creek. So for much of the year... And, and we use quite a lot of the water that flows through Boulder Creek for drinking water, other domestic uses, industrial uses. And that water then is returned after treatment back to Boulder Creek. And for much of the year, Boulder Creek is dependent upon the flow of wastewater back into the river in order for flows to be maintained. So the less rain we have, for instance, the less snowpack? Exactly. Drought years uh, can be extremely, ex extremely difficult where you have limited dilution of the wastewater by the unimpacted, relatively pristine upstream water. So our first studies followed the drought years of 2001 and 2002, and we were seeing effluent concentrations of up, up, above 80% effluent downstream of the city wastewater treatment plant. 80%, and that's Boulder with 
a pretty large snowpack source. Right? It's it, it it's true. Uh, downstream of Denver Metro uh, wastewater treatment plant, it can be much more severe, ninety uh, percent or more wastewater. Wow. So I know we don't call it; it's not officially toilet to tap here, but it's indirectly. Much of it is effluent. Where right? where uh, some communities do rely on our effluent dominated uh, rivers for drinking water sources. Boy, so fast forward several years, you've done a more recent study, and in the course of things, the city of Boulder invested in this multi-million dollar, I think $50 million wastewater treatment plant that's filtering out these kind of you know small parts per million, trillion, billion, right, right. compounds. So <laughs> what, what, what are you finding now be- because of that, if there is the link? So, uh, yes, in 2007, the city of Boulder completed a $50 million upgrade, a major infrastructure investment in the treatment process of the 75th Street Wastewater Treatment Plant. And following that upgrade, we have seen major declines in the occurrence and concentration of most endocrine-disrupting chemicals. A rare success story, a, or it would seem to be. Like, like how major? How significant a, a decline? Well, I think the, the fish have, a, have something to say about that. <laughs> so in ad- addition to our wild fish studies, we followed up on those initial observations of the white sucker uh, using a unique and innovative on-site mobile laboratory exposure paradigm where we're able to expose fish directly to wastewater and to the stream water under controlled conditions. So we could really show that it was the water responsible for what we call feminization and demasculinization of mm-hmm. fish. So before the upgrade, we were the, these effects were severe and profound and rapid, and the effects in our lab-exposed fish were consistent with the wild fish. After the upgrade, it tells a completely different story. And we are no longer able to detect evidence of endocrine disruption for, for the markers that we've looked at. Boy, so in a way, this sounds like an accidental, perfect scientist dream in oh, that I, you have this control. You, I, I, I you wish, had the baseline, right? I wish we could call it a <laughs> deliberate $50 million experiment. <laughs> but its success resides in the long-term collaboration with the city of Boulder, the U.S. Geological Survey, and the University of Colorado, and the Department of Parks and Wildlife, uh, and we were fortunate to generate this unique set of baseline data before the upgrade so we could actually evaluate the ecosystem benefit of that infrastructure investment. So you alluded to this before, but, I mean, skeptics might say, so how, how do you actually know the source of what you're finding? You know the effects and that how they change in the fish, but there's so many different kinds of pollutants that have these effects on, on fish and on humans. So h- how do you know that? That's a great point. Uh, we we don't know the impacts of what we're not measuring, mm. but we observed a significant parallelism between the reduction of m- measured concentrations of chemicals with parallel dose-dependent decreases in our biomarkers of estrogen exposure. So as when the chemical concentrations were cut by 50%, we saw a 50% reduction in effect, and so on. Boy, so really clear. And, and of course, everyone's going to want to know, what, what are the health implications for humans from this study, but also much more broadly? These chemicals are so pervasive. Well, again, how, what is the, it's important to think about what is the source of this water, and it came from us in the first place. So a lot of these chemicals are in our households, in our homes, in our diets already, so it's been said that you don't have to live underwater to swim in a sea of estrogens. 
And uh, so the humans are exposed not just through the water, potentially through the water supply, but through their whole consumer existence. Well, so we just have um, not even a minute left, but I just want to ask, so what are a few things that anyone, all of us can do to help minimize the problem? Know your watershed. Be aware of where your, uh, where your water goes when you're done with it. Anything you bring into your home and consume is ultimately uh, potentially going to end up back in the environment. So let's not introduce it in the first place is one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are, do not dispose of your pharmaceuticals. Take advantage of pharmaceutical take back and uh, support efforts to invest in our water and wastewater infrastructure, which confront or are faced by a major deficit over the next decade. It's a good start. So something that everyone can do. So I wanted to ask you also about the broader context. This study was largely Boulder Creek, but first let's talk a little bit about South Platte. What what have you found there? What are the implications there? Uh, So we have been collaborating with uh, US EPA and other partners to study the South Platte River and the series of wastewater treatment plants that return the, uh, the water used by the city of Denver to the South Platte River. And this is an important uh, an important topic, largely because, again, it's a very large city on a relatively small waterway. Downstream of Denver, the South Platte River, it's not just effluent-dominated, it's effluent-dependent. Many of our rivers, especially in arid areas, wouldn't even flow if it were not for the return of treated wastewater. Mm-hmm. So it's critical. Wastewater treatment plants, because they integrate so many of the domestic and commercial uses of chemicals of a city, uh, it's critical that they have are, are operating at the appropriate capacity and efficiency. It has a great opportunity to impact positively or negatively ecosystem health. And in Denver, what, what is Denver Water doing about it? I mean, how does their wastewater treatment plant compare with here in Boulder, for example? Well, it's it's a it's a tremendous uh, facility. Uh, it's extremely high capacity, high volume, operating at a fairly high level of technology. And so we have uh, our studies are ongoing, and we're still uh, vetting and evaluating the results. Right. And so also, you, as you said before, one of the key things that anyone can do is know your watershed. Right. Walk us through, let's say, the one here in Boulder, and how does a molecule of water, well, it ends up in a lot of places, <laughs> including the atmosphere, but down into the Mississippi River and ultimately the Gulf of Mexico. Right. So we have, uh, we have our hydrologic cycle, or water cycle, and on top of that, we have a consumer product cycle as well, where our... We have relatively pristine snowmelt and glacial-fed headwaters. Still have some. Still have some. uh, uh, Feeding into our drinking water treatment plants, which then provide flow to our homes and our businesses. Uh, Then, when we interact with that water, either to wash our hands with antimicrobial-containing soaps, shampoo with, uh, and, and shower with all sorts of complex chemical cocktail, consume pharmaceuticals, which we excrete, uh, consume soy with phytoestrogens, and even just use the toilet without any of those impacts with our naturally excreted uh, estrogens and androgens, and so on. Androgens meaning? So we have, we have mm-hmm. uh, uh, the hormones involved in human development, growth, differentiation, sexual behavior, include uh, things like estrogen, are estrogens like estradiol, 
androgens like testosterone. And these are common to all vertebrates. So downstream organisms, including fishes, use exactly the same chemicals in many of the same ways. Mm. So when we introduce it, so when we... Uh, when that is released into the environment, it has the potential to disrupt the growth and development and differentiation of downstream organisms. So here we are, flushing the toilet, mm -hmm. uh, and it, uh, or just you know, down the sink, um, and it flows to a wastewater treatment plant, where complex microbial processes work to, and microbial and mechanical processes mm -hmm. work to separate liquids from solids, uh, allow for the action of microbial degradation and allow for the, the biological degradation and physical separation of contaminants from the water flow. In fact, the one here in Boulder is what, 75th and baseline around there? Uh, uh, it's, it's, to the, it's, it's to the north, so around 75th and J. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and right on Boulder Creek with uh, just upstream of the, the White Rocks open space ecosystem. So it's, uh, and currently, uh, I checked the hydrograph this morning after last night's rain, uh, with the high flow in Boulder Creek, the wastewater of our city is contributing only about 10% of overall flow. And that's typical of snowmelt and flood times. Later in the summer and later in the winter, those flows will, those, the effluent contribution and contaminant concentrations will increase as dilution decreases. Right. And so I wanted you to talk about this, the implications from climate change on all this, not just here in Boulder. I mean, like we're lucky to have the glacier here and more snowpack certainly than the Sierras these days and, and elsewhere. But. Right. Modeling studies suggest uh, that we're going to increasingly be relying on streams that are impacted by wastewater effluent for a source of drinking water, for a source of expanding communities. So we have these parallel stressors on the water of expanding human populations along with their expanding water demand, perhaps also with decreased water availability. And this is gonna put increasing pressure on direct or indirect water reuse projects, mm. toilet to tap, and other, and other, uh, other technologies that are like are possibly going to increase the exposure of humans to wastewater affected effluents. So should we just get over the ick factor right now? Uh, many uh, in the water industry will perhaps suggest so, but um, I say we wait for some science to actually address mm -hmm. the human health effects. Uh, when there's an emphasis saying there's no evidence of adverse human health effects, Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence of an effect, and this well merits further study. You mean particularly of <coughs> the toilet to tap Of the toilet processes. to tap, really understanding the, the recalcitrant pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. and other chemicals that make their way through even advanced technological treatments, and especially understanding the impacts on the most vulnerable populations uh, during pregnancy, children, uh, and so on where low-dose exposure to biologically active chemicals can have profound adverse effects on health and development. Yeah, and other places that you've also studied within the United States, talk a little bit about what's been found from your studies and, and beyond. 
What's been found there in terms of fish, frogs, etc.? So uh, there is a preponderance of evidence demonstrating that very low doses of endocrine active chemicals, endocrine disruptors, can have lifelong adverse effects on birds, fishes, frogs, uh, and mammals if that exposure occurs early in development. And low exposure, are you talking about like a drop in an Olympic pool? I'm talking a grain of salt or even perhaps a fraction of a grain of salt in an Olympic-sized pool. So parts per trillion. trillion. And some effects have been seen even lower. Mm-hmm. So particularly you're saying in utero or very, very early in childhood. Right? These chemicals work how hormones work, and hormones work at parts per trillion doses. So a key solution you talked before about what individuals can do, is it really something that is so successfully addressed by having, albeit expensive, but m- more modern wastewater treatment plants? I, 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 you know, part of it is we are running an infrastructure deficit, um, and it doesn't even take the most advanced technology to, uh, to produce these profound effects. But it does require strategic investment in wastewater treatment plant infrastructure. Uh, there have also been successes with the city of Boulder through industrial pretreatment, mm. identifying the users of chemicals and trying to find alternatives, as well as individual action to limit the discharge of pharmaceuticals and so on. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Alan. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That was Alan Vida, an environmental endocrinologist at CU Denver. Stay tuned for more interviews in the series called The Ocean Is Us. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced by yours truly and was engineered by Maeve Conran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler and additional music by The Bad Plus. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Kendra Kruger. And I'm Susan Moran.